Welcome to the Military Transition Academy's PM Pathfinder series, where Max Rogers, former enlisted Marine turned naval officer and civilian energy industry project manager extraordinaire, teams up with the formal Navy enlisted and Army officer candidate Eric Doc Wright, Vesta PM's founder and best-selling author, alongside Jeremy Burdick, a retired Air Force chief, aircraft mechanic, and aviator turned civilian operations chief and process specialist for Vesta PM and the PDU University, bring you an audio-video suite to help you find the path while mentoring you in the profession of project management. Along the way, you can study for your CAP on PMP, PMIACP, Scrum Master Certifications, or just maintain your professional development units in a casual, enjoyable conversation between friends. All right. So welcome back, Max, for another PM Pathfinder episode. And really what we're going to focus on, we've got four areas and it's talking about plan strategy and framework regards to the communication risk uh, management plan and how we're going to do things. And then we'll move over to project initiation and benefit planning, which I know there's a little bit of overlap from some of the other episodes, but if this is your first time, first episode, we want to be comprehensive. Uh, Evaluating the effectiveness of a meeting, like what a meeting is, why we do them, and then how do we know if we met our intended purpose? And then explaining the purpose of focus groups, stand-up meetings, and brainstorming. So you might see some of the last stuff in the first one and vice versa. So as we begin to go with this, you know, let's just start off with, you know, a planned strategy or even more aptly said, let's pick a strategy so that we can deliver value on our project. What are some methods that you would utilize to pick a strategy? The, the first thing is, is to always, for the, in my experience, always to start off with the business documents at the beginning that, that are available before you initiate a project. That's the, the business plan and the business case and the benefits management plan and all those, those documents that are typically created in the business development group. And that's the source documentation that explains to the organization the necessity of this project, uh, why we're doing it, how much it's going to cost, how long is it going to take, and then what are going to be the outputs of the project and the benefits to the organization and and or to our customers. Then you take that document and you sit down with your core project team members and the project sponsor and you go through it and review it and determine okay in order to meet the the plan for for cost scheduling budget and the benefits realization at the end what is the best approach and strategy to do this. They start with the framework. Are we going to do this in a predictive manner? And do we have enough information that we can plan this out and uh, organize it, develop some key milestones, uh, have definite breaks between our phases as we go through the project? Or is this product service or result that we're aiming for here and intending to deliver is it better served in more of an adaptive framework where we try to produce something for the customer as quickly as possible and put it in his hands and let him use it? And knowing that the first iteration is not going to be the final product, but get something in his hand to use. Uh, I like to use it for, for Agile. It just makes sense to me. I use the, the example of a ATM, something that that in the early stages of my adult life didn't exist. And then they came onto the scene. They were very, compared to what they are today, they were very primitive. They were typically located inside the bank. You still had to go into the bank, but you didn't have to wait in line to go to the teller. You could go up and it was a limited amount of things you could do. You could withdraw 50 bucks. You could, you know, you couldn't deposit anything. You couldn't put anything in. All it was, it was a one-way street. You could just access information and take out. But now look at how ATMs have developed today. Now, not only are they outside the bank, so you don't have to go into the bank, they're in locations, they're in, in gas stations, they're in grocery stores, they're everywhere. 
and you can deposit money. You can you can transfer money. You can take money out. You can do, so they've really grown that, and that's a to me that's a a way to formulate in my little pea brain how agile works. You start with something. You think I remember those first. ATMs, I thought, wow, this is great. It's a, it's innovation, it's technology. But you look back today at what an ATM is capable of, and back then, it's, oh, that was that was so sophomoric, and uh, that was how you know you know can't believe the. But there was great value added at the time, and now the value has been enhanced through iterations. So things like that, once again. You focus on what is the benefit and the at the end of this project. And is it going to be something that, hey, it's a building, you know, it doesn't make sense to try to build a skyscraper through using agile framework, you know, because you can't, you're not going to put people in the bottom floors of the building when you're still doing construction on the above their head. It's unsafe. You can't have customers coming and going into build. It's a construction zone. And it's a construction zone until the product project is completed. And then the project is handed over to the customer. So that makes sense to do it predictive. Whereas if you're going to do something with technology-based or computer uh, code or development-based, agile makes makes sense. And then there's all the, those are, if you look at those at the end of the spectrum, then the things that fall in the middle are the hybrid cases where you can use bits, you know, you may want to use, use agile, uh, you know, elements of agile with scrums and, and stand up meetings every day and things like that. But yet you're still establishing milestones, right? We've got to get to this milestone, you know, at this point, just to prove that we're creating value to the project sponsor or the, the product owner or uh, things like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, great answer. I really like the, when you pointed out and, and hopefully nobody missed it was the information available sometimes drives the methodology in which you will use. Exactly. Because, right. If I know a lot about what I'm doing, if I know I'm building a bridge across a 500 meter chasm and it has to be able to hold 15 tons, right. I know my scope. The scope is really solid. The budget is probably well known. Uh, the time frame is probably, hey, I need it within a couple of, you know, plus or minus a couple of weeks here. So that makes a lot of sense to utilize, you know, a predictive methodology and then kind of compare that to your ATM is maybe we didn't have the technology to figure out the how to deposit yet. But we still know how to, you know, deliver cash into somebody's hands, but we've never done it before. So the idea is we're trying to produce an automated teller. We don't know the scope of it. You know, we don't know what it's going to look like. Nobody's ever done this before. So let's produce a minimum viable product, i.e. the the clunky thing and the big old buttons and, you know, a CRT monitor sitting inside of a bank that doesn't have a lot of functionality. And then through increments, we can build new value on top of it. Like just, hey, we're going to do a better keyboard. Hey, we're going to do two-way deposits and uh, withdrawals. You know, so I really, I really dig the the information available. A lot of times drives it. And say you walk into an organization, you've probably got like another another way to put this. You walk into an organization, all they've ever done is predictive projects, right? So the boss says, you know, this is just the way we do things. Well, as a project manager, you might have the leeway to say, yeah, we could do it like that, but we could also add some of this functionality in here from this framework to enhance and bring the stakeholder closer to the product or the service or the result that we're about to do. So it's almost like that response to the planned strategy, i.e. the the OPAs, the way we do things around here. And I know you've probably got a great story. It's like, hey, the way we do things around here is this. Oh, but Max has a better way. Yeah, well, a, a different way anyway. And if you're interested in trying something different, you know, if you're if 
you know, if you're getting a rate of return of 38%, there's probably not going to be, uh, you know, the organization is probably not going to have a whole lot of interest in doing anything different because that's doing pretty good. But if you're squeaking out five to 6% return on, on mega millions of dollars of investment every year, and someone comes up and says, hey, maybe we can do this a little bit different. And I want to want to go back to something that you just said that, that I was remiss in not mentioning when you mentioned OPAs. When you go into an organization, there may be a you may be uh, fenced in about what your options are or how to execute a project, plan and execute a project because of the organization. They may there may be a, a, a forceful forcing you to do it in a certain way for a reason that is for their strategic interest of the companies. That's why you have to learn. It's 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 vital for especially a new project manager when you go into an organization is to learn about the business of the organization, where they fit in the industry, how where where do they rank in the industry? Are they in the top 10% or the bottom 10% or the middle 50% or where do they fall? And uh, you know that you have to discover all those things to to determine what is the best strategy. And uh, then, you know, and and uh, it, it depends on your experience. Also, you come what you bring from a from a previous environment that maybe you can bring it in. You might potentially have been hired for exactly for your your performance in another organization that was outperforming the current organization you're in, and they're open to you bringing in new ideas and innovations and hey, how how come you guys were so much better than us? And and that's as a professional, that's your opportunity to uh, to grow the knowledge base, and and it also is based on the sophistication of the organization from a project management standpoint. Um, if if the or, if the organization you're in is not very sophisticated from a project management standpoint, they may not understand the value that this project can bring to the organization, and you may have to spend some time educating the stakeholders about it. But that's once again, I, I think that's part of your job as the project manager. It's not just planning and executing a project; it's planning and executing a project uh, that delivers the maximum amount of benefit to the organization. That's, that's the, the full definition of your job as a project manager. So. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. When you talk to you a little bit about communication, right, there may be rules, right? Like all meetings will be submitted on a form eight, right. Mm-hmm. Or whatever else, whatever the exactly. form is called. Uh, you have to reserve this, this uh, meeting room, or you've got to reserve this, time space and put it on this calendar and those that's pro that's process and procedures and you've got to be sound with it um so i think that can be pretty clear and usually is labeled out if it's mm-hmm. not in your communications management plan you want to in- educate your team and the stakeholders on how you plan to communicate if there's not already a plan um, secondly let's talk just a little bit about risk when we talk about strategy for risk right we have the two major categories of opportunities and threats. And I think, you know, you want to probably have a risk strategy before you begin to execute a project, because there's certain things you may want to enhance or trigger to make happen as an opportunity or immediately mitigate or avoid a threat. So I just wonder, you know, from your experience, did you, did your, did leadership above you ever take like a, particular risk strategy stance? Yes, very, very much so. Uh, I went to work uh, managing projects for BP right after the Macondo well blowout in 2012. Uh, they were the most risk adverse organization at the time that I'd ever been experienced in my life. And I actually went to see and managed a, a major uh, offshore subsea field uh, rejuvenation. We re- re- removed all the subsea hardware and replaced it with new hardware. And it was the first time that that company had been operating in the Gulf of Mexico since the disaster of the Deepwater Horizon. And, and their focus was on uh, health, 
safety and environment. You know, that it was the first time that project I had ever been associated with that the cost of the project or the length of time was secondary to other concerns. And, and it was, it would, they were totally baked and we were able, the, the, our project team was able to deliver a completely incident free. We had over 3 million man hours of effort without a single uh, lost time uh, incident or accident or environmental issue whatsoever. And the company was ecstatic and head over heels of it. And, and the fact that we completed a project ahead of schedule was a huge bonus to both us and them. So that's great. But yes, it is. Once again, it comes back to the, what is the perceived value to the organization? And, uh, and at that point, it was operating at proving that they could operate in a safe manner without an environmental catastrophe occurring again. Yeah. So you would say their threshold for risk was pretty low, like at that. Yes. Extreme. And you, as a, um, you know, as a longtime project manager, you you ever had to like convince someone to take more risk, whether it's like, Hey, I see this opportunity boss. Let's try this. Yes, I have. I, and it, 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 comes down to being able to make a convincing argument that first of the first crack out of the box, you have to convince the stakeholder that you're talking to that you fully appreciate and understand and are knowledgeable of the known risk, that you're not sweeping anything under the curve, you're 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 considering it all. And then after you list and lay out all the risks that are known, then you lay out your plan to how we're going to mitigate them, how we're going to avoid them, how we're going to transfer these risks, and then show the plan to it, and then show the benefit. Then you show the time savings we're going to have, show the you know the dollar savings we're going to have, show the the opportunity that's going to put us ahead of our competitors in the marketplace by us demonstrating that we can execute this and do and and. You know, and then you're you're you get some successes and you get some losses. And it's just it's, you know, it, it's like baseball. You know, really, you know, if you can hit a ball one out of four times, you're probably going to the Hall of Fame over a 20 year career. So so a 250 batting average will probably get you in the Hall of Fame. So as far as convincing organizations to take a risk in order to receive a higher opportunity. It depends on the organization, but you better you you need to have done all of your homework, and you and you need to have a very persuasive uh, presentation when you come in to make that presentation. Yeah, great. And, and walk in the door with the expectation that they may not accept this. So and 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 uh, it's not personal. It's business, okay? It's a, it, it, it is a business-based decision. It should be a business-based decision, and it is business. So don't allow your emotions to get drawn into to anything you're trying to convince your, your stakeholders to accept. Yeah, great, great, great point. I mean, it's, it's not ego. It's, it's really what you can do value-wise, and I like it. Put things in terms of value. Here, if we do this, boss, we can earn this. If we do this and it fails, we'll lose this. You know, it's yes. just be like basis of estimates. This is how I came up with it. These mm-hmm. are the experts I talked to and let the decision maker make the decision. So exactly. it's their resources they're betting with, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we talk about the like benefits and then uh, project initiation, uh, let's let's shift gears to that. So we're going to try to explain project initiation first, and then we'll talk about benefit planning. In reality, I think it's the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Well, but- in my experience, a project initiation and the first part of project initiation was the project charter is a output of the business development part of the project which is before the project starts, you and most organizations, especially large, sophisticated organizations, you have a business development group. 
These are the guys that are out looking for the business opportunities where, where can, where's the, and at which, which are realized by projects. But before there's a project, there's a business development team goes after an idea and they do a complete evaluation. Uh, and the first thing they do is develop the business case. You know, is, is this work? Is it in our wheelhouse? Is it something that, that we're, we commonly do? Or is this a stretch for us? Is this something new? Is this same old work for us or is this innovation? Uh, is there a lot of competition in this space or is this an opportunity for us to get ahead of the crowd? All those things are part of the business case that they make. Uh, the business development group goes in front of their stakeholders and pr produces and presents to say, look, we should take on this project. We should plan and execute this project for this business case. and as they start getting the heads moving in the in the vertical direction, then the next thing they present is here's the benefits management plan. Here's what the benefits are going to be, uh, whether it's financial, uh, whether it's tangible, whether it's intangible, uh, whether it's it's uh, you know the education of our workforce, whether it's a demonstration to the rest of the industry of something that a technology and a capability we have that no one else has, whatever those benefits are. And then those business documents then in, in, in the offshore industry, uh, that was uh, uh, a term they used was uh, uh, sanction. They sanction the project. And the, and the business development group got the project sanctioned. Once it was sanctioned, the project was handed over to the project management organization. To if there was a PMO, uh, the 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 business package went into the PMO. They looked at it for the the necessary criteria that they had set up. To all that was all the information there, and everything really been done that we needed to initiate a project. Then they would select a project manager. They would put together a project team, and then the then the 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 actual project initiation would start. And the first thing that is accomplished in project initiation is the project charter. And in every case that I worked on, the business case was 95% of the project charter. Uh, all I had to do was take the usually a, a multi-page, sometimes multi-chapter document called the business case, and reduced it down to was always my goal was to one page, a one page project charter that had all the necessary information about what the work was going to be, how long it was going to take to do it, how much it was going to cost and how much the value was going to be and who the stakeholders are and and, you know, any major identified risk, those sort of things. Put it on the project charter, get the project sponsor to sign it. And then you go to the to develop and then you go into the to the multi prong uh, effort uh, in initiation of getting the project team together, uh, working with the stakeholders, developing the list of stakeholders who are determining who are all the stakeholders and developing the, the communications plan and the stakeholder management plan and the risk management plan and all, all the plans that go into your project management plan, they all start during at the, in the initiation phase. There, there are very few of them completed during the initiation phase. They're usually not completed until the next phase, the planning phase is when those, those plans are completed, but they're typically all started in the initiation phase. Yeah. Yeah. That and uh, finding out, identifying stakeholders, right? That's kind of one of those other big ones that's project charter, figure out who's who in the organization. So you know who to contact and who to put on those uh, management plans, as you put it. So yeah, really good. Really good. We talk about benefits planning, like benefits management plan is going to one, tell you what you should see as a benefit, but also to when will you see it? So it's like the kind of the what and the when, along exactly. with the, the business case is really focused more about the how and the what, like, mm -hmm. how are we going to do it? What it is? I mean, you just take it back to like, I don't know, any product, like 
think about a breakout product like a, a Yeti cooler, for example. They thought, okay, hey, there's probably a better way. Every time I open the lid, you know, the 20th time I open it on my plastic Coleman, the, the hinge snaps. Well, we don't like that. If we're out camping in the woods and a bear comes along, they get into my cooler real easy. Right. So they came up with like some business case. And they said, okay, listen, if we make this cooler out of roto molded um, plastic, impregnate it with a lot of foam, and then put some hinges on here that a bear can't get into, I think we got a market. I think yep. we could sell it, right? And um, then the byproduct is it'll hold ice for two days. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and now yeah. it's like, yeah, we've made it tough. We've made it stay cold. And and someone sells that to a company CEO or COO or something like that. And they become your champion for that project and, or product development. Mm -hmm. And now they say, great. Now what's your projection? You know, I mean, anybody that's watched Shark Tank, what's your market capitalization, right? Right. How many people can I sell this to? And out of that, how many will they buy it? And what will they buy it for and expect in return? So uh, I really like it. And I think that's a great example um, that, that you brought up with, uh, you know, having to work through all the different phases. Mm -hmm. As you begin to go through that, you know, let's talk about meetings a little bit. So we know there's a lot of meetings. Uh, talk to me about what an effective meeting is. Well, in my personal opinion, meetings are a double-edged sword. They, they are, they are a necessity. They're an excellent opportunity for team building and for the members of your team to work face to face and to be together and spend time together. The other side of that blade though, is they're very expensive. And you as a project manager need to keep a thumb on how many meetings are being organized and planned by your team members. Uh, one way that, that I was able to do it, the first thing I always did is once my project team was put together and I knew who the members of my project team was, I would put together a list and I would take it down to HR. And the, the, I'll never forget, they're always shocked the first time you do this. Hand them a list of your project team members and say, look, I want you to take this list of individuals and tell me based on their salary, what is one hour of their time worth? And don't break it out individually. I'm not interested in knowing what anybody makes, what you know, salary they make, but I want to know this is my project team. What is does it cost this organization for my project team, entire project team to meet for one hour? And it, that that number is usually staggering to what the cost really is. And then I would bring that up at a my, one of my first project team meetings, say, just so you guys know and realize we're spending $42,000 for this one hour meeting. And that that is nothing more. That's not including the cost of the conference room and the two boxes of kolaches that I brought and a gallon of coffee. That's just your time, the project team's time. So be mindful when you're calling meetings and getting people to come to meetings, what it costs. It's not free. Just because everyone's on salary and they're here in the office, in the building anyway, you know, an engineering company like we were, you build, you build your hours to clients. And so there was cost associated with it. So make sure they're aware. Secondly, you, it's when you're establishing ground rules for your project team, include meetings in your ground rules. What whoever calls a meeting uh, require them to publish the agenda a minimum of 24 hours prior to the meeting. On that agenda, they need to state what topics are going to be covered, how much time you're going to spend at, on each topic. Part of your team development ground rules should be, okay, when we're in a meeting and we're having a discussion and the time limit is up, what do we do then? Well, you, you, you build a corral and you move those issues into the corral because you can't let the project team work be held up by a single issue. And then you work that offline outside the meeting. But uh, and, and then also in the meeting announcement, they need to there needs to be stated clearly what is the purpose of the meeting? What are the expected outcomes of the meeting? And then when the meeting is conducted, after it's conducted, make sure and, and require that minutes be sent out to that meeting. And, and typically, you're, if you stay on track, the topics uh, that you are going to discuss 
work as minutes. But then the only thing you need to add is what are the outcomes of the meeting? What, what did we actually do? What decisions did we make? What did we settle? How many issues did we resolve that we had from our, our backlog list or, or to-do items or action item list? What, what did we solve? And, and you, it, that does two things. That puts the responsibility on the person who called the meeting to ensure that the meeting is effective and efficiently run. Secondly, it creates a document trail that you can have uh, and you post it to the, the team website of all the meetings and what was conducted. And uh, so it, it becomes a very uh, helpful documentation tool that then you, you know your next project, you know how much time to plan for meetings. And, uh, but meetings can be effective, uh, that meetings are necessary. Uh, meetings, uh, there's a lot of benefit to face-to-face -face meetings, but a lot of the, if you have a regularly scheduled meeting, I always uh, observe that the meeting got less and less effective the more times you met. So what I always tried to, to set up too is I, I put my meetings on a decreasing time frame, time scale, so that at the beginning of a project, the team is meeting for maybe an hour, an hour and a half each week. By the end of the project, we're down to meeting 15 minutes a day, uh, a week, because it's, that's, it, you know, I forget the name of the term, but the, the work will expand to, to uh, occupy the time that's available. Yeah. Uh, some uh, philosopher or, or statistician came up with, and that is exactly true. If you tell someone, hey, we're going to meet for an hour, they're going to just sit around the table and, 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 and meet for an hour. If you say we're going to meet to discuss this topic and we're going to, this is the outcome we got to get to, and then we're going to adjourn the meeting. Then if it takes 10 minutes, if it takes 20 minutes, if it takes an hour, it takes an hour. But, uh, but you don't, don't just schedule meetings to fill up a, a gap of time because the meeting will always take that amount of time. Yeah, no doubt. And you're talking Parkinson's law, right? So, I mean, that's, right. it'll expand and it. And that's what he, when he did research and he's looking at, um, uh, governmental and office management. It was like routine, yep. routine expansion. Now we'll fit it. Well, we got to be here anyway. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you're exactly. Right. It's uh, my calendar is booked. You know, for from nine to ten every Tuesday, I'm going to be in the conference room. That's right, and that's, uh, right. And that's the mindset you get into, as opposed to, hey, we got a weekly project team meeting, how can, and, and I always, especially after the project gets running and I, and I typically, my projects were, you know, were lengthy. They ran from months to several years and you get to know after time, I would send out notices. They look at, is it necessary? Well, I know we have a scheduled project team meeting. Is it necessary we meet this week? Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. I, there's some real gold in what you brought up and, and I just want to point it out. One, have an agenda. Mm -hmm. right. I think that's that's imperative because if you don't know what you're talking about, you're just wasting time. I love the fact of putting value on the meeting. Like you could even write it on a whiteboard behind it. Hey, yeah. this is what one hour equals. So do you need a full hour? Mm -hmm. Most times you can get things done in 15 minutes. Uh, so plan on reducing it, right? If you can give people time back. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of that. And meetings early, if possible, start them on time. Mm -hmm. Um, you said something else about the minutes, right? And I think that's imperative too, but it's also really great for a project manager to capture that information in an official documentation, because what do those turn into? Probably change requests, lessons learned, um, you know, new, new uh, procurements, you know, the, all these decisions are being made so that you can take action on your project and you want to get them in your communication log. Right. So exactly. you're, you're constantly updating that with official communication so that it's not lost. That $42,000 for that meeting did have value. And oh, by the way, I can tie it to this, mm -hmm. uh, exactly. to this number. So I really like it. Some real good wisdom and gold there. Um, and then the measurable outcomes. It should be something that you're trying to achieve. If you don't have something to achieve, why are you meeting? It could be a email. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah, don't 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 let your meetings, your regular meetings, your regular scheduled meetings, 
uh, uh, evolve into nothing more than people just telling what I did all week long. Well, you know, the purpose of a, most team meetings is not for to let everyone say, you know, you need you need to say what you need help with, what your impediments are, what's what's preventing you from doing your job. Everyone has a job to do and everyone doesn't need to know necessarily what everyone else is doing, you know, as long as they're able to accomplish their task. You know, if they're really interested in what other people are doing, they can go see the, pro the as the project manager. I knew what everyone was doing and I would I could tell what anyone what everyone else was doing. But it's not the the project team meeting is not the place just to let people talk about what they've done or what they were doing or, uh, you know, they if, if there's something that someone in that room that you need their assistance in or they're doing something that's being an impediment to you or you're waiting on their output in order for you to start your task those things need to be brought up at the project team meeting but not just informing everybody what you got accomplished yeah a, a list of accomplishments that could be uh, captured somewhere else yes and and read and read on your own time. So I like that. I really do. Now, as as they begin to like move over to the scrum, right? It's got a very planned daily meeting, but it's only 15 minutes. Exactly. It's limited to three items mm -hmm. and then you move on, right? right? And I think the most important item is, you know, why did you wait to tell me your impediment? <laughs> right. That's exactly. the, that's the like, okay, here we go. We don't have to wait for the stand-up. The stand-up is menting get you mentally into work and a starting time and hey we're all going to gather together and then what are we working on what are we about to achieve uh and then what's keeping us from being successful and i really i really like the corral like it's a great name for it a great mm -hmm. word you're not yeah. always going to solve every problem but if you have a running corral there you get too many horses in a corral they're going to bust down the fence right so exactly exactly and it'll only help so many so that's that's right. So you're going to start really attuning those meetings and being able to reduce or increase the length based on how big the corral gets. So exactly. what a what a cool tool. Mm -hmm. So now as you go to like the meetings can take the place of many different uh, forms too. Like we've got focus groups mm -hmm. now where we sit down, say we want to build that cooler. Well, who uses coolers? Hunters, fisher, fishermen. Um, you know, we've got people that are in food transport. Uh, even hospitals maybe because it holds ice better, right? Yep. So you, you maybe got some focus groups. So you go talk to them, you know? So do you guys have a lot of um, any focus group meetings or it's typically more with product development? Any good stories there? Well, it's just that I was, I had the opportunity on several occasions that the business development because of the relationships that I developed with the guys and gals in the business development group when they were trying to put together their benefits management plan and even the business case they would come and invite me to sit in with them with their focus group and with their their surveys that they were doing to to make sure that they were covering everything that needed once once this work assuming that the work was accepted and the project was sanctioned and we were going to go uh, forward as a project making sure that that there would be a smooth turnover to me and the project management group and so I could I was invited to go sit in with it and it was very beneficial to me because uh uh, one of the most essential tools as a project manager to make sure you truly understand what this project is all about and, and beyond scope, schedule, budget, quality, and risk. Also, what is the, the change enablement that is going to occur from this project and what are the benefits and realization? And, and that having these, these focus groups was a great way to do that. As far as stand-up meetings, that's the, uh, on any type of construction project, we always started every day with, we call it a safety stand-up, but it was, it was a, and it, there was a safety topic, something that was covered every day, but wearing uh, personal protective equipment or uh, a new piece of equipment was coming onto the job site today and it's going to be operating over in this area and it's a it's a crane or it's a drag line or 
it's a it's an articulated forklift or whatever. But but to keep everybody aware of what was going on, and then to just give a general synopsis of the activity that's going to be going on today in this. On the, in the construction side, we're going to be welding pipe over here on this side of the of the the construction site. So if you're over there, make sure you're wearing eye protection, you know, and be aware that welding is going on. You know, in this other area, there's going to be lifts going on with a crane. We're going to be lifting forty foot pieces of of pipe into the air and, you know, make sure you don't get underneath the load. And, and, you know, when you hear the, the backup alarm from a crane or a piece of equipment that's in motion, we, I always had a rule. If you ever heard the, 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 the backup alarm, stop what you're doing and, and focus on where that piece of equipment is at and where is it moving to and make sure that you're not, in the path of it, or you're not going to be where it's going to wind up. And things like that were, are, are typically perfect fodder for a stand-up meeting. Um, and then you mentioned brainstorming. You know, once again, uh, I used brainstorming whenever I was faced with a decision that I didn't have the, all the data that I needed, felt that I needed to make a good decision. So I would go and get people that were involved in the situation, maybe people that weren't involved, get them all in a room and say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm in this dilemma. I need some help. You guys, you know, whether you call it spitballing, whether you call it brainstorming, whether you got, but, you know, help me out here, give me some ideas and let's, let's talk about this. How can this be? And never, ever did I fail to learn something. And, and it's, it's a great and it makes no difference what you're trying to solve and what your position is. There's always the potential and the possibility and a very high probability that you're going to learn something from somebody else that you would never in your wildest imagination think that they had experience in this or they had any sort of knowledge. It is, but they did. And once again, that's a testament to to your organization by having filled out the organization with people from, from, you know, uh, T-shaped employees, we call them, you know, they have, they're, they're, they have a lot of information in a specific area, but then they have, have a lot, uh, a broad knowledge of things also. And uh, it was amazing the things you can learn just by inviting other people in to discuss the problem and take yeah. their, take their info. Yeah. I think it's in traction uh, by Gino uh, Wink. Like Wickman, that he talks about identify, discuss, and solve. Mm-hmm. So, like that could be the three phases of a brainstorming meeting. Yep. But you want to give it some structure, but you also don't want it to be poured in concrete. Right. right? You want uh, to move along, but you also, you know, you you want to give people the creative liberty to give you their idea in a safe space. Mm-hmm. Right? So you identify the problem. All right, folks, this is what I'm dealing with right? Let's discuss it. Let's make sure I understand the problem first, (laughs) because if I can't articulate the problem, the secondly, you can't understand it, right? And then we can't physically solve this together. So most importantly, make sure I'm not missing something. That's it. Is there something that that I haven't thought about? Because I've been racking my brain and it comes down to the, sometimes you'll get in the position, you know, the old story, you can't see the forest for the trees. And, and you get in that, that, mind lock situation and you just can't break out of it yeah uh, brainstorming has always been a savior to me to yeah. get fresh ideas in so yeah it's like napoleon hill talking about their uh, mind trust right it's mm-hmm. it's the people you bring around you that you respect and know that they're experts and you say mm-hmm. okay listen we've got this let's figure this out and then uh, i think one major thing to just bring up is Look at the impact of your decision. Let's say you decide you're going to, you know, do X or Y. All right. What does that do? What's the impact? What's the first, second, and third order effects of us making that change on this project Mm -hmm. or us employing that idea or a way to solve something? Do we create a risk? Do we, you know, so it's just one of those really interesting conversations that you get a lot of brain power on. And, you know, you're smoking brain cells. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to watch people work in a collective safe environment 
um, some techniques. What's what's some one of the techniques that you use to make a brainstorming meeting a little bit better? Start first of all, no such thing as a bad idea. Uh, make sure that it's uh, the concept of uh, psychological safety zone, so that that you know people feel free to express themselves. Um, use a lot of uh, uh, whiteboard markers and or post-it notes or whatever you want, you know, jot things down and throw it in a box, throw it on the table, stick it on the wall, do something. But but I always felt like I'd accomplished something at the end of a meeting like that, a brainstorm meeting. When everyone else walked out of the room, the table was covered in post-it notes. Exactly. And then, then I would spend hours collecting the notes and putting and organizing them and trying to see is there is there some form of order here? You know, is there some is there a structure here? Do I, you know, how do I do this? And uh, so yeah, it's uh and one one other thing, but talking about meetings. Don't ever lose sight of the fact a meeting's a project. It's a temporary endeavor to produce something, an outcome, a solution, a result, a product, something. So a meeting is a project. We are project managers. You got to manage your meetings because it is a project within your project. And 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 it's uh and you're gonna have them. And the more experience you get, uh the more you, the more focus you put on becoming a good meeting manager, the more popular you will become as a project manager because people enjoy not having their time wasted. And if you can hold effective meetings that uh, are efficient and meet the purpose and you're not wasting people's times, uh, people will flock to, they will want to be on your project team because they appreciate the effort because it's, that's not a, nor, you, you, that's, that's a learned talent. You have to, you have to learn how to do that. Uh, but, uh, but don't ever give up. Don't lose focus of getting better at running or managing a meeting. So. Yeah. You have to be deliberate. It's, it's exactly. It's, that's a well, well said. There are many projects. I love that. That's great. And if you want to do good project management, do good meetings. Right? Exactly. So I, I love that. And it's the way you communicate. It's a exactly. great way, one to many, many to many, you know, mm-hmm. way to communicate with your team and set expectations, reiterate the vision. Why are we doing this? You know, well, here's the value. So it's like, it's full circle right back to project initiation and benefits management. It's okay to put a milestone in there. It's like, Hey, we have delivered this value or we are this far earned value management. How far are we, have we come? We're this percent through it's, it's, it's energizing when you know that, Hey, we're getting closer to the finish line. Right. So I like that too. Exactly. And, and you, you talked earlier about making sure you understand what the value of a meeting is, you know, there are costs associated with it. There's also Bo, uh, uh, value created by a meeting. And if you keep good documentation, you can you can sit down and you can actually portray to other people what the value of this meeting was. And yes, there is an expense associated with it, but the value that we produced from the meeting exceeds the the cost. So we're ahead of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. As we wrap this up, any parting shots for uh, benefits, meetings, focus groups, stand-ups, brainstorming, uh, strategy? When you take the PMP exam, uh, there is a, always a potential trick question. The benefits management plan is not part of your project management plan. It, there, there are 10 other plans in the project management plan, but the business management plan or the benefits management plan is not one of those. So be alert for that. I've been told that that's on several people's exams have, have, have had that. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those uh, questions where which one of the below is not a part of the project management plan. And they're all plans, and but benefits management is not. The other thing I would say is just from my own experience, uh, as a, to be a good project manager in an organization, you want to get real cozy with the business development group. And you, because number one, you're going to be executing the pig that they throw over the fence. 
that's called a project. And you've got to do the final planning and, and you and typically when you get it, the cost or, uh, or the budget is already established. The time for the schedule is already established. The quality is established. Uh, and it's it's and the resources may have already been established. And you get it and you gotta you gotta run with it once you get it over the fence. So the better relationship back into using your relationship building skills, your communication skills, the more, the better relationships you develop, develop with those guys uh, and gals, the less chance there is that you're going to be blindsided by what happens. And it was always my, my experience that, that whenever the business development people discovered that you were interested as someone from the project management group, they would invited you to to walk the path with them during the uh, the business development stage, and so that's a it's a great uh, interpersonal uh, development skill within your organization, and it pays huge dividends. Yeah, wow, yeah, great advice. I mean, I think uh, making good relationships across the company pay off, but one that just strikes me as pretty essential is. The people who are building out the business cases, like what they're the ones who are saying, this should do this in the end. This should produce that. <laughs> what if they're wrong? It's, exactly. <laughs> who gets and the, in other, trouble? the other thing is, if you if you go and look, most individuals who wind up in the C-suite of corporations, they come from business development, hmm. and it's because they know the business better than anybody. They may not know how to run a project. They may not know how to run an operation. They may not understand procurement that well. They may not understand supply, but they understand the business. And that's what it's all about. The CEO, the COO, the CFO, the CIO, all those C-suite individuals, most of them come and they've at least spent time in the business development arena because that's where you learn the business. And that's, that's the important thing. If you're in one of those positions running the organization, you got to know the business. Right. That yeah. determines your, what, whether you see your business succeeds or not, value add, value return to the shareholder. So Absolutely. you got to know what you're doing. Absolutely. Turning human effort into dollars. Exactly. How do we do this? This is what we produce. This is what keeps the lights on. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the PM Pathfinder series and want to join the profession, certify, or maintain your PDUs by visiting vets2pm.com and looking up Project Manager Essential Toolbox or a boot camp.